I hope you'll take your Bible, or if you don't have one, there should be one around you. I'd encourage you to grab it. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. Luke, chapter 24. How do we know that the story of the resurrection is true? How do we know that Jesus actually, really rose from the dead? Seem like appropriate questions today. They are important questions and, frankly, questions that carry a lot of weight for us as Christians. Because here's the bottom line, and maybe it's already been clear this morning. Bottom line, everything we believe as Christians hangs on this. That Jesus didn't stay in the grave. He was resurrected and he's alive. Everything we believe hangs on that, which is why Easter is such a big deal for us. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead changes everything, and the opposite is true as well. And we read this from Corinthians a bit ago. That if Jesus did not rise from the dead, Christianity is empty. To quote the Apostle Paul, if Christ has not been raised, then preaching what we're doing here, vain. Your faith, vain, empty. If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile, it's useless. And the scripture says you're still in your sins, which means you have to answer for those yourself. When death comes, if Christ has not been raised, when your time comes to die, then, well, you'll face the judgment of God. I can't say it plain enough. It all comes down to this. Our faith rises and falls on whether or not Christ is alive. And if you're here this morning and you're not sure about Christianity, you're not sure if this is something you can believe, good for us but not for me, If that's you, I just want to encourage you. If this experience, this time here comes back to you later, start with this. If you have one question you need to answer about Christianity, make this the question that you're going to answer. Did Jesus really die on a cross and rise from the dead? And I want to submit to you that if he did, if that's historically true, that a man died and then fulfilled his announcement that he made before, that after three days he would come back to life. If that really happened, I want to submit that you have to listen to everything else he says. But if you find and you are convinced that that did not happen, then really nothing, none of this really matters. It means he's not who he claimed to be. And forget all the he's a good teacher stuff. It doesn't matter. He's a liar. He's a fake. He's a fraud. Not all that was on my notes, actually. Um, You may think at this point that this is going to be a message convincing you of the, the resurrection. and It's actually not that. I'm just going to declare it's true. Um, but when I think about why I do believe that the resurrection is true, there's one thing that always seems to come to the top for me as one of the primary reasons that I'm convinced that this really happened. And this is it. There was these men who followed Jesus, his disciples, 
And before Jesus died, this crew were so weak in faith and so fast to doubt. But after Jesus died, well, after he died, they were still quick to doubt and slow to believe. But after his resurrection, something changed in these men. They became bold, courageous. I wonder if you ever thought about this, the contrast between who the disciples were before the resurrection and who they became afterwards. These men had seen unbelievable things, miracles of Christ, and yet they were so, so slow to believe everything he said, to trust him. In fact, when he went to the cross, even though he told them, I'm going to die and rise, when he did die, they, they ran away. They went and hid. They were scared. They didn't know what was going on. They were confused. And that was kind of their MO. But if you read the Gospels, and then you keep reading, what you'll recognize is after the resurrection of Christ, these men, they gave it all. Every one of them went for the rest of their lives and they died because they were proclaiming the resurrection of Christ. There's lots of reasons I could tell you why I believe in the resurrection, but this one stands out to me. When these men were with Christ in the flesh, they were cowards so often. But after he rose and he left earth, they spent the rest of the years of their life telling everybody. And when they were threatened with death, they took death. That change of heart, the way these men went from weak faith to unbridled courage is a big part of why I believe in the resurrection. And it also makes me endlessly fascinated with what must have happened in that interim between when Jesus rose from the dead and 40 days later when he returned to heaven. I'm endlessly fascinated with that period of time. What happened? This morning, we're going to spend our time at the beginning of that, considering the very first interaction that those men had with Jesus post-resurrection. It's one of those passages that I can't get enough of. Here's Jesus. It's the evening of the day when he rose. He's had a weekend, okay? Friday, he dies on a cross. Saturday, he's dead, for real dead, in a grave. Sunday morning, he comes back to life. And if you want to read, you could read the end of each of the Gospels and hear some of the other things that happened on this particular day after he rose from the dead. But we're going to fast forward to that evening. And see, the first interaction that Jesus has with these men who were called his disciples. As we go to the Bible, I want you to consider, have this question in your mind. What would Jesus want them to know? It's been a weekend, okay? A lot has happened. He's back with these men who he has been with every day for about three years. Their heads are spinning. What does he want them to know? That's the question we're going to answer this morning. To kind of set the scene, try and imagine this. There's a man who you know. You know that he has died. And all of a sudden, he's back. We're in Luke chapter 24. And I have to be honest with you and tell you, 
we're kind of jumping into the middle of a story. Luke 24 tells the story of the day of the resurrection. So it starts with women at a tomb, seeing that it's empty. And then we're told about these men who are walking, and Jesus appears to them. And go and read that story today. Fascinating story. Um, And it was a toss-up between whether or not we talk about those men or this next passage this morning. But we're going to skip that, and we're jumping now. Those men actually arrive at the place where the disciples were. And they tell him, hey, we saw Jesus. Like, we really saw him. And so here's the disciples with these men and some others. They're in this room, and that's where we're going to pick up. Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 36. Hear the word of God. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. Just let me just say this, he wasn't there before, okay? So don't miss. He wasn't there, and then he was. It's important. And he said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit or a ghost. And Jesus said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you have seen that I have. And when he had said this, he showed him his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy, they were marveling. And he said to them, you have anything to eat here? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. I'm going to submit that's important too. We'll come back to that. He took it and he ate it before them. Then he said, to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. We believe it's true, that God's promises are true, and that they will never fail. Okay. It's going to help if you use your imagination. Put yourself in that room, and what have I said? They've had a weekend, okay? This man who they had given their lives to for three years was crucified and killed, and they were scared that the same thing was going to happen to them, so they retreat, they hide. They're in a room, and the Gospel of John actually tells us they went in a room, and they locked the doors for fear of those who would come after them. It's a party, but it's a very private party. These two men had come. They had seen Jesus, and they're telling the disciples what they had seen. They had heard earlier, some of their trusted friends, these ladies, had told them, an angel told us he's risen. So they've all gathered for this this meeting. We've got to figure out what is going on. And as they're discussing these things, verse 36, as they were talking about these things, Jesus 
himself stood among them. What a wonderful breach of security. One moment they're talking about Christ, and the next moment he is there with them. I told you it's going to help if you use your imagination. What does that feel like? How do you respond to that? Well, I can tell you how they responded, and it's probably the way you would respond as well. It says they're startled, they're afraid, and they're pretty sure it's a ghost. But then the, the ghost speaks. This is what he says. Peace to you. Now, I've got to admit this because you might find out somewhere else and I wouldn't want you to call me out on it. This is a really common greeting. We, we tell each other, how's it going? What's up? In this culture, this was common. This greeting, peace to you. So we could just move on past this and write it off as customary. But in a scene like this, I'm not writing anything off as customary, okay? A man who is dead just shows up. What he says, every word he says is significant to me. He doesn't go to what he often said, do not be afraid. That was a common refrain from him and the angels when they snuck up on people. He says to them, peace to you. The first thing the Lord says to his disciples after his resurrection is a greeting of peace. And I can't help but stop and consider that the very day when Jesus had come out of the grave, knowing what he had accomplished, knowing that he had defeated for all time the power of sin, and the hold of death. Knowing that he had secured redemption for all who would believe. Knowing that through his death and his resurrection, he had established peace between God and sinful men. I'm not rushing past these words. On the lips of our Savior, on the day of his resurrection, he makes a declaration. I, it's not agreeing, this is a declaration. Peace to you. We can go back to a prophecy that was written hundreds of years before the coming of Christ. The prophet of Isaiah said, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, this is what we believe. This is why we celebrate. We believe that we were at odds with God. We were called enemies of God. We deserve the judgment of God. But because of what Christ did, we can have peace with God. If that's not a big deal to you, I just want to keep and push into it. Paul says it this way, the Romans chapter 5, verse 1, he says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, made right with God through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, this was a common greeting, but on the day that Jesus died, or rather rose, accomplishing what was necessary for salvation. I see this as a declaration, a proclamation. Peace has come. Peace to you. Now, the disciples probably didn't realize that then. Let me go back to the question I posed earlier. What would Jesus want his disciples to know on the day of his resurrection? 
That first one's veiled, so I'm not even putting it on my list, but I think he wants them to know peace has come. But there are four other things in this passage, and that'll carry us through the rest of our time together. Four things that Jesus reveals to his disciples during this first conversation, and I think it's significant for us to consider what he chose to show them and tell them during this particular conversation. The first thing he wants his disciples to know on this night is that he is really, actually, physically alive. We've already saw their reaction. They suspected at first, this is, this is probably a ghost. If I touch him, my hand's probably going to go through. That makes sense. People don't just appear. The doors were locked. Add to that, they had seen or at least heard of the crucifixion. But he's not a ghost. He's not a hallucination. And Jesus wants it. He needs them to know this. I'm really here. I'm really alive. Now, again, they had heard gossip of this. These two ladies had gone to the tomb that Sunday morning to, to finish preparing the body for permanent burial. They had taken spices and oils to prepare the body. When they get there, the stones roll away. They go in. There's an angel there. He tells them he's not here. He's risen. They run back. They tell the disciples they don't really know what to make of that. Then there's these other two men. Jesus appeared to them that afternoon. They've now come to where the disciples are, and they've told, we're pretty sure we saw him. All this adds up to why Jesus says in verse 38, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your heart? He's saying, you've heard that I'm alive. Now, that you, now you've seen that I'm alive. Where are the hugs? Right? No, he's like, I said, you're troubled. You have doubts. Why? It's me. I'll prove it. See my hands, my feet. This is verse 39. He says, touch me. See. A spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. If I was a hallucination, you couldn't reach out and touch me. Touch me, friends. I'm here. I'm alive. This is important. Let's go back to where we began. If Jesus did not really rise from the dead, we lose the core of our faith. This is worth a moment of our time. If these men just saw a vision or even a spirit, if they had this group hallucination, which would be wildly odd, if Jesus didn't rise, really, then this is all for naught. We're not speaking metaphorically. We believe in the actual physical bodily resurrection of Christ. That's to say that the same person who went into the grave rose from the dead. And Jesus isn't leaving any room for confusion on this point. I often think, what if we didn't have that part of the Bible? This, we need this. We need to know he really rose. He was really alive. People really saw him. If you're reading straight through, maybe you noticed this when I read the passage. If you read straight through, it seems redundant. Because in verse, 
Verse 39, he says, touch me, see my hands, see my feet. And then in verse 40, it says, and when he had said this, he showed him his hands and his feet. And it seems redundant. I think it's actually a reference to what the other gospels tell us. The, go- the other gospels tell us that Jesus wanted them to see that he had scars on his hands and scars on his feet. Why did he have scars? Well, he had just hung on a cross. I think verse 40 is a reference to the fact that not only, don't just see my hands in general, see my hands specifically. No, this is me. I was on a cross. I died, and now I'm alive. I'm back. It's me. It's a way of proving that the same body that they had always known, the same person who they had lived life with, the same person who died on the cross is now standing in front of them. Do you want to know that it's me? Look at the scars. And if that's not enough proof, Jesus does something else. And I think this is a twofold purpose. I think Jesus is hungry because that's what the way people get. We get hungry. And Jesus had been on, he had a day. I think he's hungry. But nothing Jesus does is accidental. And the fact that it makes it into the words of Scripture emphasizes it. Jesus asks, he asked them if there's anything to eat. And Luke records that they had some broiled fish. He also records that he took it and that he ate it and that they saw him eat it. We, we don't believe that the words of the Bible are wasted. We have them all for a reason. And God wanted us to know that Jesus took a piece of fish and he ate it and people saw him eat it. Why is that significant? Because ghosts don't eat. Hallucinations don't eat. You could visualize them eating, but the fish would still be on the plate. All this comes together to communicate something really important. Jesus physically, really rose from the dead. It's central to our faith, and I'm so glad that the the Bible doesn't leave any room for us to doubt it. And before we move on, we've got to deal with the, the reaction of the disciples. They've seen all this. They've seen the hands. They've seen the feet. They've seen the scars. They saw the fish come and go. Verse 41, they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. Maybe you know this, maybe you don't. The Bible wasn't written in English, it was written in in Greek, which means that for us to have a copy of the Bible, someone had to translate it from Greek to English, and translators have a hard job, and this is one of those verses that they spent a week on just scratching their heads and trying to figure out what to do. Because there's three words crammed side by side without anything in between, And they don't seem to fit together. Disbelieved, joy, marveling. What do we do with that? I won't take you on the long rabbit trail I went on myself. I'll tell you my conclusion, though. I think the combination of joy, marveling, and disbelief implies amazement or wonder. It's a rhetorical device. I can't believe it's true how incredible he's alive. Disbelief, I can't believe it. Joy and marveling. I can't believe what I'm seeing, but I can't deny it either. It's right in front of me. 
And as I think about that reaction, I've called it joyful wonder. I can't help but think that that's the response that we should have when we consider that God Almighty would send Son to die for sinful men who had rebelled against him and loved it, that he would do that for us, and that if we believe in him, he will call us his children, he will accept us into his family, and he will give us eternal life instead of judgment. Joyful wonder. I don't get it, but I'm happy about it. Disbelief. Joy. Marveling. As I read this passage, I just keep thinking, it'll help if you use your imagination. This is the same day Jesus rose from the dead. And now he's with these men. And I just can't stop asking the question, if, if that happened, whatever he says next is really important. Don't hear me discounting any of the words of Christ, but you know what I mean? It's a big moment. Notice what he says to them. Verse 44. He actually starts teaching. He actually doesn't skip a beat. He kind of picks up where he left off before the cross. He says, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. I've told you this before. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Friends, there are some passages of Scripture that if we understand what they mean, they should change the way we read the rest of the Bible. If you had never read the Bible before, and you started at the beginning, and you get to this point, you may have to start over. Because what he's saying here is that everything that came in the Old Testament, and these are the Scriptures that the disciples had been reading their whole lives, everything you've read, it was all leading up to me. It was all pointing to me. It was all pointing to this day. That's a huge claim. That is a massive claim. The Holy Scriptures, the Scriptures the Jews had loved and memorized and lived by, Jesus says, it was for today. It was pointing to today. And then it says that he opened their minds to understand it. Talk about a Sunday night Bible study. First, they see the risen Christ. And then he starts to show them how the scriptures they've known their whole lives have been building and announcing this. And we don't have the whole conversation. And this is actually, if you read the whole of chapter 24, Jesus had a similar conversation with the other guys on the road, telling that, that all the scriptures are fulfilled in him. And this is a thread that I could pull for a long time, and I won't keep you here much longer. But I could pull this thread because I think Jesus might have gone back to Genesis and told them. Remember when God said about that snake in the garden? Somebody's going to crush his head. And it will bruise his heel. See, that was about Jesus. Jesus is the one who crushes the head of the enemy. Now, in the process, he suffered. His heel, in fact, was bruised. And I think, I would love just to think that Jesus told his disciples, 
serpent crusher. Maybe he reminded them, remember last week when we ate Passover? That was actually what you guys have been doing for generations, where you would kill a lamb and spread its blood, and that the blood represented that God would pass over you, and that if anyone had the blood, then you would not experience the judgment of God. Friends, that was all about me. My blood was shed, and anyone who believes in my blood shed for them, passed over. Maybe he reminded them about the sacrificial system. See, there were people with sacrifices. They killed animals, and this was prescribed by God, but it wasn't permanent. It wasn't meant to actually accomplish forgiveness. It was all just a foreshadowing. It was a type. It was a, a picture, and I think Jesus tells his disciples, it's me. We could go on. I would love to go on. The Old Testament announces it points to Jesus. And on the day of his resurrection, he wants his disciples to know it's all being fulfilled. My death, part of God's plan. My resurrection, part of God's plan. All of this, God's plan for the salvation of nations. And it's all been announced. It was in your Bibles. Now, why was it so important? Right out of the gate, Sunday night, it's been a weekend. Why is it so important that he starts explaining all this now? One, they're still struggling a bit, and he's trying to put some pieces together for them. Two, these are men that he's about to commission and send out, and he's going to send them to people who know their Bibles really, really well, and he's preparing them. We're not changing religions, folks. It's been there all along. It was in your scriptures. It all pointed to Christ. If you're reading the Old Testament right now and you're struggling, just keep this in mind. It's all about him. The entire history of Israel was laying the foundation for the coming of Christ, preparing the way for the work that he would accomplish at the cross. The Old Testament announces salvation is coming. He came. The Old Testament announces he will die. He did. The Old Testament announces he will come as king and reign forever, and he does and is and will. Verse 46. He said to them, Thus it is written. Again, he's talking about their Bible. This was in your Bible. Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. To what end? He's, he's telling them the Bible predicted this. Now he's going to tell them why. Why would the Bible announce that Jesus is going to die? And why would he actually die? And why would the Bible suggest that he will live forever? And why does he rise and live forever? Verse 47 that repentance, that's a key word, for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Now let's go back to the Old Testament. There's a passage, we read it together Friday night at our Good Friday service. This was hundreds of years before the coming of Christ. A man named Isaiah spoke on behalf of God. He wrote it down in the scriptures, and he describes the cross. He says, he was pierced for our transgressions. That means sin, the things we've done wrong. He was crushed for our iniquities. Another word that means the same thing. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, you are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. 
We have turned every one to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, if you've been around church, if you're a Christian, even if you're not, you can probably read that. You know about the cross. You put two and two together. That's about Jesus. That happened. Awesome. Man, to have been there the first time that Peter or John heard Isaiah 53 and recognized, oh, wow, that was talking about Jesus. John, come here. You've got to see this. You remember when Isaiah said he was pierced like Jesus was? He was crushed like Jesus was? Why? For our transgressions, for our iniquities, so that we can have peace, so that we can be healed. God laid on him the iniquity of us all. Paul says it this way in Romans 4. Speaking of the reason for the cross, why it happened. It says he was delivered up, talking about being delivered up to death, being taken to death. He was delivered up for our trespasses because of our sins. And he was raised from dead for our justification. Big word means made right with God. Because of your sins, he died. For you to be made right with God, he was raised. That's why we're celebrating. It's only because Jesus died and rose from the dead that we can be made right with God. I'll go to 1 Corinthians 15 one more time because it's Easter Sunday. We should just keep reading it. If there is no resurrection from the dead, if people don't rise from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, your faith is in vain. We are actually found to be misrepresenting God because we've testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. Because if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. This is in the Bible. The Bible acknowledges this. Everything hinges on the resurrection. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in Christ, they're perished, they're gone. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Just get that because a lot of people say, you know, churches, it's good. People go and they feel good and I'm glad for them. It, it helps them get through and good for them. And I just want you to know that our Bible tells us that if we're just using all this just to get through the days, it's not, it doesn't add up. Now, can I tell you, this gathering helps me get through weeks. It does. But it's not enough. We can get that elsewhere. We can get that other places. If Christ was not raised, Verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And this is what Jesus was helping his disciples to understand, that everything that had happened over the last 72 hours was the plan of God for the sake of salvation. He was teaching them. He really died. He really rose. And salvation from sin forever is available. And now he wants them to know that it's a message that he's entrusting them with to tell others. Verse 47 again that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in the name of Jesus to all nations, starting where they are in Jerusalem. 
Verse 48, for you are witnesses of these things. Recognize what's happening. He's preparing these men. It's going to be their job now to take what they've seen, to take what they've heard, and to tell everybody. And I'm so thankful they were faithful because 2,000 years later, the message has been passed. If you know anything about the passage of documents and history, things don't make it 2,000 years. This message has made it. and It's come to us. And there are people in churches all around the world this morning because these men did what they were called to do. And I love, here's another thread. Man, I'm watching the clock, I promise. I could pull this thread for days. These men, they go on and they write things, and it's in our Bible. Listen, I want you to hear what John, so John is one of the disciples. He was with Jesus on that night in that room. He wrote this later. He says, that which was from the beginning, he's talking about Jesus here, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it. He's talking about Jesus, risen from the dead. I saw him and proclaimed to you eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which you have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father, Jesus Christ. John heard the commission. He says, I saw it. I want you to know I saw it. And because it happened, we can have fellowship with God. One other example, I'm just taking two, I had 10. Acts chapter 10, this is Peter, he's preaching, this is after Christ has returned to heaven, he says to a group of Jews, he says, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning with Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy Spirit, and with power, and then he describes what Jesus did during his life, he went about doing good, and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And then he talks about himself and the other disciples. He says, we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem, that they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Can I just remind you, this is Peter. The night Jesus died, they said, hey, don't you know Jesus? He said, I don't know him. <laughs> Never even seen him. I don't know him. Now, after the resurrection, he's standing in front of people who would want to kill him. And he's giving this message. God raised him from the dead on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. Remember I said, if someone rises from the dead, we have to believe the things they said. He says, I'm the judge. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins through his name. This is the message that was given by Christ to his disciples and it's been proclaimed and that I have believed and many people around you have believed. We believe that Jesus died and he rose again and that anyone who believes in him will be forgiven. And, and there's an alternative. You cannot believe you cannot receive him, and you can die, and you can be punished forever for your sins. And that's why this message is a big deal to us, and we want you to hear it, and we want to believe it.
that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And it was all foretold in the Old Testament. Can, can I just pull that thread one more time? I think I told you I was done. Genesis chapter 12, God speaking to a man named Abraham, the first man who he had called to be one of his people in the nation of Israel. He says, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will him who dishonors you, I will curse you, and in you all the families of the earth should be blessed. This is big. Jesus comes through that line, through the line. It's through Abraham and through his family that now all the families of the earth can be blessed. Jesus died. Hebrews says Abraham didn't see the end of the promises. Not by a long shot. We, we see it now. How would these, this small group of men accomplish that? How could they take this message and it now still being proclaimed in Round Rock all these years later? How does that happen? We couldn't do it on our own. They couldn't do it on our own. Jesus tells them here, verse 49, Behold, I'm sending the promises of my Father upon you. Stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And I'm just going to shrink this up real quick and tell you, Jesus had promised them before he died that when he was gone, he would send the Holy Spirit. This is God himself to come and live inside of his people and to empower us to do things that we couldn't do on our own. And that the Bible says that I can't convince you to believe. That I, the Bible tells me I'm not smart enough to do that, not equipped to do that. But that the Holy Spirit comes and that God himself can come and can awaken your heart. And this is the power he's talking about here. And this is why I can stand here and, and not just be in pieces because it's not ultimately I who can do this. It's God's power. They received this. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we'll end here. This is, this is what the church is. We are a people who have been forgiven of our sins because we believe that Jesus rose from the dead and now God has commissioned us as witnesses. So we come together each week and we celebrate and we remember and then we go out and God has commanded us to share this message because it's our hope. It's the only hope you have. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I told you at the start that one of the primary reasons I believe in the resurrection of the dead is because these men were struggling. But they saw something that changed them. And what I want to submit to you, church, those of you who are followers of Christ, is that Jesus is alive. And if we allow it to do its work in us, if we see it rightly, we, like those men of weak faith, should be transformed to bold witnesses of Christ. This should sever the power of temptation in your life. This should give you hope when everything else seems hopeless. This should give you peace in a world that's so lacking for peace. Christ rose from the dead. He is the fulfillment of God's plan. He is the source of salvation. We believe it. And church, I just want to encourage you to keep believing and to allow it to change the way you see everything. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. 
He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Let me pray for us.